thank you all for coming out tonight. And I especially want to thank our panelists that are sitting up here. We're going to be speaking to you. So I'll introduce them first, but just to give you a little bit of background, we did our first bloggers event about uh, in the summer with Cronenberg, went really, really well. And we're really pleased to have you here tonight and give you a preview before the public sees the exhibition. Um, each speaker is going to speak for a short time, and then there'll be a Q&A, so feel free to ask any questions if there's uh, some time after each after the discussion, you're more than welcome to stay So we have Louis Palou, who is a uh, photojournalist with the Globe and Mail. He is well known in the industry. He's going to speak first. Um, he's been all over the world for a lot of places. Um, we've got John Reeves, who is a well-known Canadian photographer. He's written several books. He's well known for his portraits. And he's, I think he's shot every literary figure you can think of. And then we have Rani from Photo Junkie, who um, is Mr. Photo Junkie. And probably the, uh, he told me not to use talk, but he's a renowned photo blogger. So I'm glad that he can be here as well. So, Louis, if you want to start. Uh, I've been a photojournalist for about 16 years. I'm one of John's students. Just thought I'd mention that. Uh, and uh, it's interesting seeing this kind of photojournalism. It's great that you know, in the curating, they included magazines because I work in print now too. But in these days, I guess they'd shoot you know rolls of film and get them to the lab and make whatever sort of reproduction they could. I was just in Afghanistan. I take photos, connect my satellite phone, and email them to the Globe and Mail before people even here woke up because of the time zone difference, and it'd be published the next day. And I already, by the time it's by their, while they're printing the paper, I'm already shooting the next day and filing the next photos. So uh, what's incredible is I get to see uh, a really rare glimpse into the foundation of what Alfred Eisenstadt started doing and started experimenting with as a reportage photographer. Uh, the Leica camera was in his formative years. For many of you who don't know this, the Leica camera changed photojournalism. Before this, people shot with plates or, or sheet film, you'd take one shot, you weren't even looking for the camera when you took the photo. Then they got to medium format cameras, it was very, very slow. The Leica camera made it portable and easy to take uh, photos while you could blend in, you could say, to the crowd. Uh, say, looking at the summer series, the summer school series, uh, you can see that he's starting to build on storytelling. He would start what later would become <coughs> the photo essay and made much more famous and established by some of his contemporaries like Eugene Smith at Life. Uh, he really became what I would call a photo editor's photographer. He wasn't just shooting for a piece of art on the wall. He was considering uh, telling a story about something that was happening, either an event or going in and kind of photographing his opinion like a fly on the wall. Say, for example, like the card players with the skates over on the right here on the wall. He went in there, I mean, back then in the 30s to photograph someone's socks and skates, you know, and not include the heads. It is a really unique way of telling a story. And I think that he really innovated a lot of ways of seeing things and telling stories visually. Uh, I think that this is a, a fantastic collection. I mean, I didn't know it was going to be the show when I was asked to do this. So, of course, we all know the famous photos like the, you know, the kiss on the VJ day of the sailor kissing the nurse. Probably one of the most iconic photos of, uh, of this century. Uh, 
or previous century actually, and uh, you know, getting to see the early years of a photographer of this magnitude is great, I think, especially for young photographers and, and established photographers to see how someone in the early days of photojournalism who, could, who didn't have much to look back on. We, we have so many photographers to look back on now. Uh, he had very few. Uh, so he had to actually explore things like including his own shadow in one of the photos, in one of the portraits. I mean, we see that very common now, but back then, the photo editor might be saying, what do you got your own shadow in the picture for? You know, what are you doing? Or why isn't the subject in the middle? I mean, he started moving things around and doing things that no one else was doing. And he started working on things that other people made very famous, like Cartier-Bresson, like the decisive moment. And you can see in some of his really early work, he was working at getting people movement, not just a, a staged or, or stiff photograph. Uh, he, he would start looking for angles that no one else was looking at. And I think that that's what makes Eisenstadt one of the great reportage photographers uh, ever in the history of photography. And uh, what's great is that included in, in there's a, a, a display box over there, they show the, the magazine and the layout. And that's what I meant earlier by being a photo editor's photographer. He was thinking ahead of time, what would he have to photograph to tell the story, either with one picture or several pictures. And a great contrast to the rise of reportage photography is you'll see another famous photographer's work who's not in the show. Uh, it's a full page shot. It's John Hartfield. And John Hartfield was very famous for montage photos, meaning he would cut things out, photos out and make kind of a manipulated photograph and tell a story. Then you'd see Eisenstadt's work, which is straight reportage documentary photography. And that was the rise. The illustration was you know, with the rise of the Leica and the ability to photograph events, uh, the having to illustrate things uh, in manipulation uh, was slowly becoming less popular and documenting the real as it happened began to rise in popularity and into eventually Life magazine, which was probably one of the most famous photography magazines that ran new stories uh, in, in the last several decades. I mean, now there's many more like Time magazine, but it really was the basis with which this type of photography really became well known and, and brought all the great photographers like eventually like Robert Kappa and photographers of that sort. So uh, feel free to cut in at any time. If I know they're going to have a Q&A later on, but if anyone had any questions to further the conversation, don't, don't be shy. Uh, another great series is the, the view from, from the, the Zeppelin. Uh, here we see a very crude beginning of, of a photo's essay. Uh, a relationship between a number of photos. Photos that tell the story about, about something, something the photographer sees, something unique. So, um, any, any questions? Rennie, do you want to? Well, I mean, you're a photojournalist. When, when you're out there, mm -hmm. um, What's going through your head when you're kind of do you do you kind of survey and then shoot or are you, are you shooting the whole time, kind of piecing the the bigger picture together? Well, I always feel like if I'm going somewhere where no one else can go, then I need to bring back a picture to show them what it's like there if they could be there and make it the kind of photo that not only tells a story but kind of intrigues people visually. So I'd walk, you know, I. I walk up on a scene and want to usually, if, if something's happening, I want to 
take a shot right away, just be spontaneous. Uh, other times I'll approach and not take a photo at all. You kind of got to judge s things as they happen. Uh, you know, it, you got to create sometimes a, a relationship with your subjects and, and this is where John could probably step in and talk about portraits because without, without some kind of relationship of some kind, then the photo is kind of, it, it's dead. There's kind of two separate and I, I think a coming together between the photographer and the subject somewhere or the photographer bringing something out of the subject is, is something that, uh, John, if you want to add to that, is something that I think that Eisenstadt certainly was really good at. Well, yeah, I, you know, portrait, port portraiture, I guess, becomes a sort of compartment within the big picture of photojournalism and uh, I, I guess I've always been fond of an idea that Essentially, there are two kinds of photos. There are photos that are found and f by moving the camera through the environment and photos that are made by producing something in front of the camera. And um, portraiture uh, varies, you know, how you... Uh, there's the candid portrait, wonderful, magical, and Eisenstadt and all the names you've mentioned, you know, there are people caught on the wing. And then there's the engaged photograph, you know, where you're, I mean, it's the guy sitting there because someone made an appointment. <laughs> and uh, sadly, the, you know, a lot of print today is not very concerned with expansive treatments. If, you know, you, 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 don't, you want, it's the feature photo, it's some secondaries, it's maybe a cover, but that's kind of roughly it. Certainly, uh, the latter part of my activity with magazines was a lot of that. So you're you're sitting down with some. So then that can that's another s way of being. Uh, having started out sort of inf hugely influenced, you know, the the wonderful social documenting photographers, uh, Cartier-Bresson. Uh, I got very excited by uh, David Douglas Duncan because I I was I I became a photographer because I was a very bad art student. Uh, and I was an even worse student than anything else. I, I, uh, I, I'm fond of suggesting that the, the romance professions in Canada, certainly when I was growing up, were medicine, law, and accountancy in that order, and that's fine. But uh, you know, it was, it was, you know, I, I was no good. That was not going to happen. And uh, I, it was an equally, I was a very bad art student, but somehow the photo, we had a photo course and so on. So here, and I, I was like sort of Maurice Richard, Harold Town, and Picasso and Einstein were all like equivalently fascinating for some reason to me. I, I, these were like, you know, you know, they were incredible guys. And uh, so, uh, Duncan's uh, a huge documentary of, of Picasso's career, Picasso's Picasso's, subsequently documenting Picasso until he photographs Picasso's studios after he dies. And I thought, oh, geez, you know, I could, I thought, you know, I, I love hockey, but I'm a lousy player. Maybe I could photograph hockey. <laughs> so vaguely, I sort of thought, oh, you know, I could do that. And indeed, I suppose to this day, a lot of what I have done is sort of uh, is cult a kind of documentation of cultural players and uh, artists and the 
uh, musicians and, and so on. However, the, yeah, the, the, I ended up because, you know, I came into a magazine photography world with extraordinary gifted figures like I think of the, the great Michelle Lambeth and Kryn uh, Taconis and Don Newlands and uh, you know the, the people that were shooting for the big pic Canadian pictorial magazines, Weekend, Star Weekly, uh, stuff. And these were big, fat, honking things. They, these, you know, they were like eighty-page a week operations, insertions in, in distributed through various insertion arrangements within the main newspaper. Anyway. Eventually, I realized that times had changed, and the essay-like thing, and you, and printing was very bad in Canadian publishing for a long time. And, you know, so you got into lighting things, and on and on, and then the, the essay, there was no longer four pages, or six or eight pages. So you were doing the head-on, eyeball to eyeball, and also economically. No, we can't fly, you know, the, the, he's going to be in town, John. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So uh, then you get into, okay, so you, the business of engaging the subject. And uh, that's kind of, and I don't know how I, I do it, but I, it's, it's, some people don't, food photographers aren't good at engaging subjects. <laughs> that's why they do food, you know. And I've, I've known some great food photographers, and they were great guys, and they made beautiful pictures, but they, they couldn't deal with it. And for me, a kind of kid who you know couldn't get a date till he was 25 or anything else, and uh, uh, you know, sort of lurched through life, being inappropriate. Suddenly, I could make this contact, and I could have a kind of interaction with. Uh, you know, and somehow, I could do that. I don't know quite why that would be. You know, because suddenly I could sort of, you know, for five minutes, I can kind of engage almost and like you know, Nobel Prize winners and things. You know, I thought, oh boy, is this ever fun? Is it ever exciting? <laughs> and are these guys ever impressed? It's like, you know, it's Maurice Richard, and there I am, you know. And uh, so it took on, a, you know, that aspect took on. But also, it, it, this business of the change of the dynamics of, of what print communications were about. Interesting, uh, Louis. Uh, it's, uh, the newspapers are now, I, periodicals in this country are essentially marketing agendas. You know, you, it says bugaboo, and you know you're, that there's going to be kind of very lavishly produced ads with editorial that's very much about what's in the ad, and that's kind of what's going to happen. Uh, the, the expansive, the more uh, social and politically documenting photography which newspapers didn't do very much of. It was all about, you know, the gravity, you know, broads, fires, dogs, and, 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 and the news, the stuff coming from Reuters, and, you know, if it was big stuff. People like yourself are now being sent, and, and you're very wonderful port stable of, of associates at the Globe, for example, are now going out and doing the real stuff. And I sit there, and here is uh, John Van Passen or yourself uh, bringing home, you know, doing that role. And interestingly, uh, daily print has, has sort of, you know, you, uh, you know, I mean, this gets a bit trady, I don't know, yeah. but, uh, you know, like McLean's magazine really needs to think about what it's doing because, uh, 
uh, you know, the Globe and the Star, the newspapers are blowing their doors off. Better writing, uh, more expansively funded, extensive time, and, and so on for shooting. You know, so that you are able and with, you know, to play on this better playing field, coming out of your passion and your interests and your journalistic inclinations and so on. And uh, so that that's sort of after I was supposed to comment on changing things and you know, I my masters here at the AGO wanted me to refer so there, I've done it now, you know. And uh, yeah, but the digital photography's changed a lot for these yeah. papers. Like when I I mean I remember used to shoot film and you know, run over to the lab and you know, be doing overtime every day waiting for the film to come out. Now, I can take a picture, plug my cell phone into my laptop in my car somewhere, anywhere, as long as I got cell phone signal. Or I, I could, like the, 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 in June when they made the big terrorist arrests in Toronto, I was outside a Starbucks which was closed, on my knees with my laptop, uh, get using the, the wireless service, <laughs> filing photos from you know, just outside of Toronto. I needed to get photos in by the deadline. I mean, Eisenstadt did not have that ability. But, you, you know, I, I think what's interesting is you got Ansel Adams and Eisenstadt, people think, how do these, you know, they're not related, but they, I, I think in a sense, when you look at photography as, as something that's considered realism or it's documentary, really Ansel Adams never considered himself a documentary photographer, but looking at the landscapes now, they don't look like that anymore. I mean, they're looking more what Ebertinsky's shooting. I mean, every, nothing's, everything's kind of fixed or contrived. They've got fences around everything. Don't step here, don't destroy this. And really, he documented something. I mean, he's, he's credited with so much more, you know, giving to photographers, giving us stature within the art world. But really, look at his photos. They, you can almost use them as social statements now because really the environment does not look like that anymore. Well, and I, I would I could argue too that there's a, a huge movement in, in the many of the most prominent photographers today uh, are our own spectacular Edbertinsky, uh, Polidori, uh, the 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 sort of um, na uh, you know man man uh, documenting man's marks upon mm -hmm. the. God-given world, mm -hmm. and which is a sort of what those guys are doing, and it's they and they tend to be physically spectacular practitioners. You know, huge, incredible images, and fantastic. You know, the exploiting the cameras, fantastic. A, a la Adam's fantastic ability to record exquisite and significant mm -hmm. can be significant detail, and all that stuff. So that we're kind of back there again. Yeah, exactly. In, in some in some way yes. and, and uh, uh, it, it's very interesting because I, you know, I was getting a little weary of sort of limp calla lilies all over the place. Yeah, yeah. You know, there was a period where we were doing, you know, I was going into galleries and seeing kind of reminiscences of, you know, and well, I'll just kind of shoot this calla lily and uh, it won't, it'll be sort of beautiful and uh, suddenly there's a bonier, tougher high-powered high school of guys that are yeah. documenting and yes and it's very important that you realize very much looking and this is an extraordinary Adams package because you know we've all seen Moonlight over Hernandez yeah. and some of the big honking things but uh, his interest and his eye was drawn in, in a kind of formal way and the, to you know very modest but beautiful objects at the same time 
documenting thing, as you say, the world that is gone. We have a great uh, photographer in Canada, just had a huge show out in uh, Mississauga, George Hunter. And I mean, the word, it's not that long ago, George is about a generation and a half older than me, you know, and I'm walking through this big show and I think, you know, I remember when Montreal looked like that, but it doesn't anymore. And I remember when the rural Ontario that I grew up in, and that's what it looked like, and it doesn't anymore. It, it starts to look like the housing tracks. <laughs> you know, uh, in, and, uh, in uh, Adam's pictures of, of uh, California in the 50s, I guess. But anyway, so. Uh, no, it, I, I agree with you. It's an extraordinary Ansel Adams package. Uh, I, there's a lot of photos in there that I've either seen in extremely rare books or never seen at all, actually. And you can yep. see where he's taken some of those photos were kind of experiments in my mind as a photographer. He's experimenting with the kind of lenses he likes and now doesn't like. So if you look at his, what are his selections or curator selections of work, the super wide angle lens effect is something he abandons quite quickly. He abandons really photographing people. And I finally get to see a print of that Giorgio O'Keefe picture. You know, that's a great, that's actually, it's a portrait of uh, Giorgio O'Keefe and I forgot who the other person is in the photograph. This is when they were all with Edward West and there's a whole group of them hanging out in New Mexico. Okay. Yeah. And uh, I, I think that, you know, this is a fantastic show. And uh, we should be, we're, I, I know as a younger photographer, lucky to have this body of work on display, especially Eisenstadt. I mean, Ansel Adams is a little more common, but having Eisenstadt like this displayed, is, it's a remarkable collection. Well, in a juxtaposition too, I, because in a way, as disparate as one might kind of vaguely instinctively feel these guys are, and you start looking at their era, they were in the same era, there was sort of a kind of a sense of visual literacy and what made, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, they made, they saw stuff that made pictures, albeit, you know, and uh, a little different photo, focus, emphasis, mm -hmm. whatever. And uh, no, it's, it's a really uh, one of the uh, AGO's fine efforts here. and. Uh, very strong, and the Adams thing is um, well, both of them because uh, again, with the, you know, all these guys, they've got their sort of the big icons mm -hmm. that roll on, uh, but there's such, such a, a rich, uh, lesser known, and really uh, beautiful and illustrative, uh, informative, and uh, both ways, you know, good stuff. When we uh, get the crowd kind of excited. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's interesting to see the two like when I was coming into this, I was I wasn't sure exactly what they were showing. So um, if it was, I didn't realize it would be kind of like a lot of their earlier work, and because um, you see their their work now, and there's obviously work that you you know you familiarize yourself mm -hmm. with. You know that's Ansel Adams right away. And it's as as a emerging photographer, and like most of the people in the room here, um, it's kind of great to see that kind of experimentation uh, and just the rawness of the photos, as opposed to kind of um, uh, photos later on in their career where you know they were striving for that perfection yeah. of of image. 
So. Yeah, no, I, I think it's, I agree with you. It, it, you get to see them before, I mean, excluding a few pieces in the, the Ansel Adams section, it's before they reach master status. It's like, I, I agree, it's this rawness, this experimentation. This is some this earlier. Imagine the Leicas back then, I mean, I guess press autofocus now, or some cameras just, they just go. Then they're like, they're getting the double image going, and it was foggy, and you know, shutter speed, guess the exposure, I didn't even know what the light meters were doing back then. And flash, well, you'd probably be using, you'd blow yourself up. It was one pop light bulbs or flash powder. I never understood why I was a limitation to my career. <laughs> I, could, I could do studio flash, and, you know, and get the meter out, but uh, I could never do on-camera flash. I mean, it was, I would never, I could never work, you know, I good buddies that were, you know, I could never yeah. really do the newspaper thing because they all knew how to do that oh. and I somehow never, I understood the theory, it just never, I couldn't do it. It's like, you know, I couldn't, I know certain notes I couldn't reach on the flute or something. Now do, you, now do you see um, new photographers, bloggers, photo bloggers, that sort of thing as being kind of a competition to what you do? Like, sure, you get sent out to cover specific stories, mm -hmm. but it, it seems that uh, the blogging community is just out on the street and kind of happens upon, well, I mean, they're, they're photographing life as is, and, you know, and if you're in that serendipitous moment where you actually yeah. catch something that's newsworthy, um, do you, do you find that there's kind of that competition, or do you think there's a threat there to kind of your work? No, not at all. I mean, let's, let's use an example. Let's use the London bombings, uh, the train in, in the tube. Uh, you know, they were using cell phones, but I mean, really, those are significant news photos, but uh, it's like, pictures of the mayor, our new mayor today on the front of the paper. They're great pictures of the mayor just winning, but you know, three weeks from now, you'll be like, yes, so what? Like, you know, it doesn't, I mean, really, it's, it's no threat to me. I think that those photographs are still significant, whether it's me or someone else at Spot News. Uh, you know, maybe I got a nicer camera with more bells and whistles. Not that that means anything. I just need a tool like that because I need things to, I, I need, a professional model camera because I shoot every day I need it to last but the camera is really essentially not very important it's it's what you're doing with it uh, no for spot news you're there you're there and I think that now there's more because the, the technology is available to more people uh, but still there's still the old days where you just happen to be there and someone got hit by a car or shot or you know I mean it still happens uh, but you know I was in India working on a story Walking down the street, my fixer. I saw these kids cleaning sewers, and I thought, "Wow!" And there are people walking around with digital cameras all over the place, cell phones. There, I mean, it's India, but they're just as modern as us. No one's taking photos. I just shot probably for me is the strongest work I've ever done. People walking right by me, so people just weren't seeing the story or weren't seeing the pictures. Or so it's all in how you tell the story. And I think that everybody has the ability to do something. It's whether you develop that within yourself. And I think that everybody has their own unique way and some people are able to turn it into something. I have no idea how I did it, but because uh, I barely made it through high school. Uh, but uh, too much, too many rock concerts 
but uh, you know, I think that we're all unique, and we all we all have a special little uh, special way of seeing the world in ourselves. It's whether we are able to uh, take that and make it something where we can execute it and make an actual painting, photo, piece of music, whatever it is. I mean, I couldn't play. If I played music, it's not like a dying animal. If I played an instrument, but with a camera, somehow I developed. It, it, you know, there's a little bit of luck involved in finding that little bit of me there to be able to make photographs. So I don't see the competition. I actually see as great. I think, wow, how did they do that? You, know? you could talk about writing. I mean, you know, same thing. Uh, you have the you know various evolutions over millennia. You know, everyone can write, and everyone does write. They don't write Long Day's Journey into Night or <laughs> Hamlet, but they write. Uh, or and they the people write exquisite small thing poems or something. Mm -hmm. Or I mean, you know, it's a literacy. I mean, to my mind, it's like you know, you're dealing with a language, a literacy, uh, and 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 so on. And the blog thing means, I mean, uh, you know, uh, I suppose it, it it allows, in a way, I enjoy it because now niche interests can be addressed. Uh, stuff I don't. Could, you know, uh, how I comb my dog's hair, you know, <laughs> doghairblog, you know, dot com, uh, wouldn't be something I'd be looking at, you know, but then again, something else might be, you know, but all the dog hair people can at least find their thing, which they're not going to find in Chatelaine magazine, so, you know, or, or in McLean's or a lot of, you know, you, you know, you can go to your thing, you can go to music, whatever, you're, you can at least you can talk, you felt the, a small club can find each mm -hmm. other uh, over, you know, uh, easily and through a thing. So, you know, I think that's fascinating. The the photo, it's, it's as I say, it's a literacy. We all, all got, you know, Gutenberg, you know, movable types for everybody and uh, all that stuff. Uh, by the way, I, I'm touched by the music because in my great fantasy, actually, I, um, I in a perfect world, I would have been a musician and I once, <laughs> In, in, in a hapless moment, tried to be a drummer, and and I just brought a whole uh, the, the Delta Music Center in Hamilton was just sort of in tears because they liked me because I drank a lot, but they they the drumming was just. However, it, it was a great experience, and I learned to appreciate music. I knew I uh, it was one of those many occasions when I realized I was a fan, yes, <laughs> not a player. <laughs> Do you have a question, Iris? Yeah, I, um, I know uh, the season of the acclaimed photographer who has moved his portfolio site to Flickr uh -huh. um, with the thought that there is a growing sort of, I guess, more... Uh, Visibility? Yeah, I, I think, I, I'm just wondering if maybe I can start by trusting you, and what's your sense of her, you know, for career Well, there's no no competition at, at the or there is it, the the market wasn't saturated yeah. with you know everyone carrying a, a camera like it is now and I guess with something like Flickr um, the 
the, the bonus on something like that is, sure, there's like millions and millions of photos being uploaded every day now because of uh, digital. Um, but you have you also have like a community where they're either marking it as their favorites or leaving comments, and you know you get uh, the good work gets kind of highlighted, and I guess that's kind of why that person obviously um, yeah, moved towards that kind of format because there's that f instant feedback. I know even. Um, like I, I have pictures on my photo blog and pictures on Flickr, and since using Flickr, I noticed that it's it's easier for people to kind of just leave a comment there or or say that that's their favorite picture, as opposed to uh, going to their own domain uh, for that portfolio or photo blog or whatnot. Um, so I'm not sure if it's 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 a uh, it's also with like tagging, it's easier to find kind of um, the photos that you kind of want to look at if, if you have kind of niche interests uh, or, or if you want to look, uh, say if you want to learn macro or if you want to learn street photography or, or see examples of that, you can easily find that sort of thing. So it's that, that system just makes it easier to kind of, sure there's a lot of photos there, but it, it, there's there's a lot of tools on there that kind of make it uh, easy to navigate and find what you want. Yeah, I mean, for me, you have to identify who you want to sell your photos to or what you want to do with your photos. If you don't want to sell your photos, then and you just want as many people to see your photos as possible. I mean, you can put them on Flickr, you can make your own website, you can, there's a whole bunch of ways of doing it, but if you're talking about a career in terms of selling photos like do you want to hang them in a gallery do you want to have them published in a public I mean right now we have print still I think print is going to be around for at least a little bit longer yes the web is taking over but most of those print places like newspapers and magazines have their own powerful website just just as just as <coughs> like, you know if we speak internationally like say BBC I mean they use photos they use video they use everything uh, so they're print their TV they're everything uh, you know, if you want to be a photojournalist or even say whatever, any sort of editorial photographer, uh, identify your market and then find out where those people go find your photos. And usually you're a photographer with a website and you're going to try and get in touch with the photo editor or the art director and you're going to let them know, hey, my photos are over here. But people out just looking at your photos because you want to, you have some important documentary story, a social issue, put them on Flickr and then a million people can see them, but that's not going to give you a career. Uh, the career is finding the people who put, buy your photos and put them somewhere and in turn give you the money to continue working as a photographer. So it, it could be Flickr, it could be, you know, I, I don't know of photo editors, but I don't know of any pro photographers using Flickr to go to a photo editor and say, hey, I'm not dissing Flickr, but saying, hey, go Flickr, and, you know, they'll have their own website. Think a, web, a standard website. I, I have a pal who's a, was a hugely successful corporate kind of photographer. <coughs> you know, fifteen hundred dollar days, so as long as he could stand up and so on. And somehow he came to a sort of midlife crisis, 
and uh, his marriage collapsed and he just didn't want to do it anymore and uh, he's a, he does a blog about him walking his dog now his images of his, and, and, and then, well, then his dog died. Now, as the marriage, <laughs> in, as the man, marriage is in its terminal moments of collapse, and the wife has already moved on to her new house, and a better, you know, uh, you know, bobs out with the dog, and it drops dead, sort of thing. And then he, now he's got another dog, and he photographed, you know, and and this is, I, I would say, therapy. And, and uh, he, at this point, he he understands he's not going to make any money, and, and, and so on, but. There's some kind of community of blog that 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 is providing some kind of need that he has. And this is a highly professional, highly you know driven, ambitious guy who was you know out there you know but some, you know doing the cement plants and the oil rigs and the, the deep mines and everything. Uh, and uh, you know just sort of you just one day you weary of. There comes a moment, I think, in, in the career where you sort of, you're no longer really dealing well with people saying, now, John, this is what we, you know, this is what we need here, you know. You, you, you start to sort of say, well, no, I, I, I want you to listen to what I want to do. And uh, that becomes a long career, long discussion. I look at portions of my life and say, shit, I spent too much time saying, now tell me, what is it that uh, I can do? Rather than saying, look, you know, this is what you should do, and, uh, and so on. So you, you get it, but then on the other hand, the making, you, you, so you're, you're forever, I think. I mean, by the way, speaking of, there is never, uh, we, uh, I never thought I would live to a day that I would see so much extraordinary photographic talent around these massive technical facilities, the Sheridans and the Humbers and all that, pouring out into, you know, and I you worry a little because the, it's, you know, the, the talent pool is disproportionately big to the audience market pool. And uh, just as a matter of fact, because, uh, you know, I, I look now and, uh, you know, and, and exhibitions and things and publications and trade uh, books and who's out there. And you're just a god. And then once in a there was about 15 guys, you know, like whatever area I want to be a feature photographer makes. Well, there were maybe 20 guys that you sort of had to kind of hold your own. You know. Now, I mean, I, God, it's just it's thousands. Thou no, it's just terrifying. And they're good. I mean, they're really good. Deadly. You know, Stock agencies. I mean, there's there's things. I mean, but I'd agree with John. Something that I, as much as at the Globe, I do 340 assignments a year, roughly. It sounds like a lot, but it's not. Monday to Friday, two assignments a day, one or two a day, maybe three, maybe five for an assignment. File 50 photos a day. Uh, is I've grown more. I've always done my own work outside the Globe. It's, I did that. I, I've been at the Globe staff five years, freelance ten. After a while, you do get to a point where you're like, look, you know, I know you want this, but I'm here in the field. You can't see what I'm seeing. This is what I really feel. This is, I want to tell you what I'm seeing, what I'm feeling as an artist. And, and sticking to what you, your vision as a photographer is, will always in the long run make you a better photographer than anyone else. They may get the initial assignments and make more money, but I think in the long run, when you look back at your career, you'll say, wow, I'm so glad, you know, 
people laugh a little. I'm so glad I made less money. But you, 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 you know, you give yourself a pat in the back, and you got these extra 50 images. Everybody's like, you know, they're tossing the eggs in the pile that they don't want. They're like, oh, there's that art directed. I left space for type. You know, it's kind of like, well, you know what? You work around my my photo. Put your type work, or if it doesn't fit too bad, put it on your page. And it's your photograph. It's not someone else's. I remember being told that. I went to. Funny, I show my age. When I went to OCA, I guess it's OCAD now. Uh, just next door here, I remember people saying, "Do what you like doing." Yes, you got to make sacrifices and pay the bills at times. But I did get to a point where I got tired of doing the commercial work. And I started doing my own stuff. Yeah, I starved a little. There was a point where I remember I was so broke working on this project. I, Visa was about to like confiscate everything I owned, and I'm not saying to do this at home, folks. But you know, <laughs> I, I, I went, took my my bank card, and I took a cash advance from the bank Visa card, and went to the teller. And, you know, staved off the, 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 the minimum payment just they leave me alone for a month. But what I'm saying is that, yeah, you have to do commercial work. You have to do stuff. You know, Eisenstadt, back to Lancel Adams, they had to do commercial work too. But they always had the personal stuff as well. And I think that that's the important thing about this particular exhibition as well, is that you're getting to see some of their personal little experiments. You're getting to see the little things that you don't always get to see when you look at the, you see the Eisenstadt book, it's going to have the kiss photo. It's going to have all the famous photos. You can see the, the, the Ansel Adams show. But what you're seeing here, and I'm telling you, I mean, almost all this Eisenstadt stuff, I don't think I've ever seen any of these photos. This is a remarkable collection. Yeah. Same with what you said earlier about the Adams collection. It's like, and, and what you said, Rennie, about the rawness, the, the beginnings. It's like, wow, you know, he kind of screwed the, the composition up a little over here and <laughs> focus is not a little, you know, and as as well, he used like a super wide lens and the post is distorted. It's like, what's he doing? And it gives you an idea to experiment a little and have your own vision and do your own thing. That's what I really like about this exhibition. Yeah, no, it's, it's great stuff. Oh, and yeah, it's fascinating setup. Yeah, it's, the images in this room, in particular, I mean, I'm looking at this stuff, and I'm almost seeing a lot of similar images on a daily basis on people's websites, mm -hmm. whatnot. And I guess, I mean, what makes that any different from what's shown here? I guess he was here first. He kind of staked the flag. Um, well, I, I, he's an innovator. I mean, let's face it, we need someone to lead by example, someone of great vision or talent to do something or execute something. And then we say, hey, or it takes us, actually in this case, a few decades to go, whoa, wow, I never thought of doing it like that. Like, here's, here's an invention, if you really th think of it. Reportage, photojournalism is in its infancy here. I mean, the Leica, just come, the first 35 millimeter camera. Before this, I mean, you either had a camera that you look through and what you saw wasn't, you know, something called parallax error, wasn't coming really out in the film or, uh, I mean, you're looking through rangefinder, they don't even have really an SLR camera, we were seeing the mirror yet, so uh, the understanding and the execution of these photos, we take it for granted, you know, we take for granted some of the innovations, he, he's, even like Adams, these people are great thinkers, uh, Adams, you know, inventing a system where we understand highlight to shadow, and and he becomes the master of. It. I mean, we think, yeah, yeah, oh, highlight shadow, yeah, okay, meter for here and that. 
Back then, that was like, people were like, whoa, zone system? Like, what? Zone system? I mean, now we're like, ah, the zone system. Boring. You know, uh, I never understood it. <laughs> like, sort of understood it, but I could never really do it. I, I just sort of thought if you go over, overexpose everything by half a stop, you'll be okay. Yeah, I <laughs> And, uh, uh, you know, I mean, I appreciate it. And, and, uh, as a hapless art student, our library, we had the Ansel Adams The three books. books. The negative. Yeah. I mean, there was a book that's like just on the negative. Washing the negative was like a chapter. No, I know. Thousands of words. I got I got a headache reading the Washington Neg part. Oh no, you know, and then and then then the zone system. I mean, you know, and you, you it was awesome. Well, it, it, it made you think about. Well, if you like think that. of the foundation, of, say like say Adams, if you look at the foundation of what he he innovated, uh, camera manufacturers now use the fundamentals of what he talks about in tonal range. I mean, really. Uh, we're talking a major, we're a major discovery in photography, and, make, and making it as much as you read those three books. I'm like, God, I need a beer after this. You know, you have a headache, major headache after the three books. The principles which with he takes something technical and makes it something yep. we can turn it into aesthetic is really one of his great contributions. Another great contribution that Anselm has made that no one knows about was he was one of the first photographers to record record sales in terms of dollar value, like Moonrise over Hernandez. I think it was. No, it's it went. It, it, I think it sold for forty thousand dollars, and at the time, like a photo for forty thousand. Are you what now? Like we got photos selling for hundreds of thousands of dollars. And what that did was he helped give rise to the ph the photographer not just as a functionary but as an artist. And that's I think one is one of at least in my mind, one of his great contributions as well. And that, what the great thing now about photo bloggers that we can all be artists, we can all be an Ansel Adams. Also, it's interesting because Eisenstadt and, and those guys, they, they, you know, you, they got the, you know, the candor, the, the, the street photographer manners, but they somehow saw, uh, um, you know, the, the, the sliver of time they chose to embalm really uh, had, you know, really said something big and complicated. Uh, one of the great photographers, less well known because he was more European based in that era, was a guy named Felix Mann. And Felix Mann uh, was shooting in the, this era in the 30s and the build up in, of the politics in Europe. There's a marvelous essay he did, I think, for the Munich Illustrated Press, uh, which was a pioneering uh, picture-driven picture magazine. And it was, he does a story on Mussolini, mm -hmm. and there's an astounding picture of Mussolini in his office. And the office would be as big as this whole gallery, and you would approach with a vast, heraldic devices and it would take you a couple of a minute or two to walk to this little bald guy at his desk and, and it somehow said something about you know about where the, what kind of a person you were looking at and years later there was a wonderful uh, Kenneth Clark the great British historian and critic did a thing uh, in the line that stuck in my head uh, talking about something or other, and he said, I don't believe, he was talking about architecture and stuff like that, and said, I don't believe that anyone ever had a truly great thought in a very large room. 
And that image of man just jumped into my mind, you know, because that was exactly the point of that photo, you know, the, the very the man that needed a very large room because he didn't have a hell of a lot else, and uh, you know, in, in a certain way, and then uh, you know, so but uh, also the heady guy of that era, the third, the twixt the wars, explo cultural explosion in Europe. Andre Kirtage, another, another uh, big master. player, and uh, uh, who did a lot of things first. And uh, well, I think what's another thing we take for granted is we just take our digital picture and look at the picture. Yeah, These photographers had like twelve. Some of the first rolls of film were 12, 24, yeah. 36 exposure roll of film oh, back then. That was like that was like a, buying a bulk roll of film, <coughs> <in> three hundred <laughs> frames. They didn't know what they were getting. It really was a, a, a skill to grab that moment the person's running. Now it's like you're shooting like, oh, I, you know, oh, I don't like that thing up there. I'll, I'll improve the picture because the, the, the technology can help us learn quicker. They, their, their learning curve had to be like this. Uh, that's what sets people like Eisenstadt, which is in this group of famous reportage photographers like Bresson. They, they were master shooters, they shot film, and the film was really bad, like they don't have the great 400 we have now. It was like really bad film, really bad grain, it scratched, the processing was terrible, everything was like the antithesis of the cameras we have now in terms of function. So for us it makes us all quite, you know, here, the light meter would be off, I mean, out of focus, there's no autofocus, now you just turn your camera on and go, click and I don't like it I think I'll delete that back then it was like I mean the cost of film the availability of film was very difficult oh it's a lugubrious lugubrious process oh yeah I agree with that and understand it but at the same time I mean I don't use a digital camera I still use a box camera mm -hmm. sometimes too so the idea that everybody especially the idea that everybody who's a photo blogger is using digital oh not everybody no <laughs> not everybody I'm, 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 I mean oh, the vast majority of the world I mean, you know, only thought, you know, it's, it's only a matter of time before film is gone. I actually learned a lot more about photography going back and using a box camera. Because I actually took photography in university mm -hmm. and art school and really came out of it not knowing anything, to be honest. And it was when I went back and started using really rudimentary cameras mm -hmm. that I started to understand. Using digital cameras has never helped me to. Well, I, I, you know, it's like you should always learn to drive with a stick shift. You know, yeah. Not that you're going to use one, but, but you know, then you know how a transmission works. Because that's how, it, you know, that's what, even if you don't go do do, it's still doing those things. Uh, yeah, I think they're about to cut us off. But, okay, well, there you go. But um, moving forward, and in the age of like post 9 11, uh, where everyone's kind of terrified about, you know, what are you taking pictures of, and yeah. I mean, just even approaching people to take their picture if you're covering news or whatnot. I know for myself, I, tr I try not to take pictures of people on the streets unless I kind of, pictures of other people mm -hmm. unless I kind of know them. Now, how do you go about kind of either becoming invisible or breaking that wall? So you build that kind of trust within that 30 seconds of meeting well, here, someone to, to shoot for your paper. The way I look at it is, paper. yeah, it's in the public's interest. That, that's the way, everybody wants to read the paper until maybe they're part of the article, right? But unless, maybe if they're reading or looking at the picture and like, wow, I like that picture, or hey, I like that story. So 
uh, as long as I'm not, you know, sneaking into someone's backyard, poking my camera into their window where they're like suntanning naked in their living room, I, I, I don't believe in that. I, I, I don't like that. I don't, I'll, I'll, I'll refuse that kind of work. But, you know, if it's on the street and they got to say the, the transit strike last summer, I mean, I shot lots of people on the street walking because that's what ended up happening was during the transit strike. But, you know, that's in the public's interest to show people the effects of the strike on the people in the street. How do I shoot it? By whatever means possible. I'm not going to knock, elbow someone on the ground to get their photo. Sometimes people say, hey, what are you doing? I say, hey, look, I shoot for the gold medal. If they say, hey, I don't want you to take my photo, well, then I just press delete. I just delete the photo. But I've never had anyone release, you know, I've had people once in a while get angry or whatever. I don't engage them. I'm there doing what I feel, not to make it grand, a public service because I'm shooting for the paper and everybody wants to read the paper wants to know what happened the next day. And sometimes I'm just an artist. I'm not hurting anyone. I'm taking a photo, I'm going to hang it on the wall. So uh, sometimes I don't even look at the camera. I just, you know, I fire. It's practice. It's like going to the gym. You work out, you start learning how to, you know, you hold the camera here, you look through, you kind of look and you look the other way and you just click a few frames <laughs> off. I, I know what's going on. I know, I, I look through, I know what's there. I'm just waiting in my mind's eye that the person is, you know, uh, about somewhere in like dangerous environments, like you said, we go to Afghanistan. Well, if there's people with guns and stuff, I mean, <laughs> you, uh, well, say I'm with Canadian soldiers, I was embedded. There are times where I'm going to walk up and say, hey, sorry to bother you. you know, I don't know if his buddy just died or he, his friend just got hit or, you know, he just something, he had a bad three days, he got attacked. Uh, there are times where I got to know guys and I just shoot and they just didn't care I was there after a while. Or times where I wasn't with a certain platoon or something, and I'd walk up and I'd see something and say, sorry to bother you, hey. Uh, so it, it, you kind of start learning to use your judgment. And, and I think you have, to have, you have to have some sort of ethics. But, you know, I, I photograph soldiers who are seriously injured. I mean, it's, you, you got to choose to be uh, a human being first and then a journalist. So you can either help and... Uh, be constructive and then become the photographer or if, if things are being taken care of then you can just be the photographer. So uh, I, I, I judge everything by the way it is but you have to be a good person first. You can't just sort of throw your ethics away just to get the photo. That's yeah, the sort of paparazzi thing. Yeah, the paparazzi thing. Ron Galella, you don't know, want to do that. Yeah. So I want to be the bad person. No, it's all right. <laughs> So um, I just want to uh, thank our three gentlemen for being here and chatting with you guys. I hope it helped jog some ideas. The exhibition is going to be open for 15 minutes, so take another look. If you need anything from Carrie or myself and that, please come up to us and let us know. And uh, John and Louie and Randy are here, so if you have specific questions, let's go right up to them. <laughs>